Hi everyone, it's me here from All Things Real Estate. You know what? We as uh, owners of properties sometimes need guarantors as co-signers of tenants coming into our home. So do you know the legalities of all of that and, and you know how important that is? Well, today I have Scott McKechn, who is a legal coach and currently provides training and consulting services for lawyers and paralegals. And it's so nice to have you on the show on All Things Real Estate with Maria Recruit, Steve. Welcome. Thank you very much. So we have another topic that I know everyone wants to know about. So I'm just going to let you get started about uh, what it is, what a guarantor is, because we have many members in my association that may not know what even a guarantor is. It's just new to all of this. So can you explain that for us, please? Sure. A, uh, a guarantor is or something that uh, um, most people may be more familiar with, a co-signer. Uh, very similar to a co-signer on a on a loan, a, a guarantor again synonymous with a co-signer um, can provide a a form of uh, confidence to a a lease uh, agreement. So in a residential tenancy type situation, a guarantor slash uh, co-signer is essentially the person that says, "Hey, if the tenant um, doesn't make good on this lease, um, I will make good on the uh, lease on their behalf." And that could be for both concerns, uh, payment of the rent, as well as damage or other uh, concerns that are identified within the uh, within the lease. Mm -hmm. So my question is, should the landlord be doing a credit check on the guarantor just to make sure who they are? I mean, like, how can we protect ourselves as landlords? Like, I know you basically work with other paralegals and lawyers, but what would they be telling us? What, if I went to a paralegal, what kind of advice would they be telling me? Yeah, so um, exactly. Uh, I coach lawyers and paralegals, so I don't uh, uh, assist landlords directly, but if a landlord was to go to their lawyer or paralegal, what they would hear uh, hopefully is going to be the uh, information that I would encourage a paralegal and lawyer to uh, pass along to a landlord, which is going to be that yes, they should be doing credit checks and background checks obviously on their tenant. And if the tenant's uh, credit history comes back and it looks like a, a situation where uh, everything else checks out, except the person has had some struggles and maybe has uh, some difficulty and the landlord wants to be sure that the rent is going to be paid on time, then uh, asking for a, a co-signer or a guarantor and performing the credit check, obviously, on the uh, uh, guarantor slash co-signer as well. Because, um, of course, you know, it... Uh, um, doesn't make sense to get to two people with bad credit. You want to make sure at least one of them is in a good, uh, uh, a good frame. Mm -hmm. And so if you refuse to do that, you just don't take the person in your home, right? You uh, don't do them. Yeah, that's going to be the uh, uh, the landlord slash business person's choice of what uh, risk they're willing to accept. And somebody with poor credit that can't provide a guarantor, uh, it's probably wise to walk away from. But uh, um, you know, everybody makes their own decisions for certain reasons. Yeah, exactly. So do you want to go into it a little bit more of uh, what kind of questions we should be asking, what kind of forms they should be filling out for us, please, Scott? Well, and uh, the, the the form for a credit check, I'm going to leave that one alone for uh, uh, for today. There's going to be others that are more qualified for, for that aspect of it. But uh, as far as the, the lease itself, um, 
the concern when guarantors and co-signers sign on a, a lease, that's going to be something that uh, needs careful attention. Quite mm-hmm. often uh, I've seen situations where a lease is drafted up and it's typically the same lease that would be offered to uh, uh, all tenants, but then a landlord decides, ah, you know what, I need a, a guarantor slash co-signer on this particular one. So all they do is on the bottom of the uh, the lease is they'll draw a line or type in a line and have a, an, an X there and underneath the X, they'll have the person's name and they'll just put the label guarantor or co-signer there. Um, the problem with that is what are they guaranteeing and what are they co-signing? Just because somebody signs the bottom of a document doesn't mean that they're committing themselves to everything that is said within that uh, within that document. So you can have a, a lease that says blah, 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 the tenant this, the tenant that, the tenant this again, the tenant something else um, gets to the bottom and has a spot for the tenant to sign. So when the tenant signs that, the tenant has just obligated themselves to all those um, terms and conditions within the document. If there's simply a line beside that that mm-hmm. is called guarantor and co-signer and somebody else signs that line, they haven't committed themselves to anything. The lease is going to need to be worded in such a way that it says the tenant blah, 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 and the guarantor guarantees that if the tenant fails to perform blah, 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 then the guarantor will perform blah, blah, blah on behalf of the tenant. It just can't be a line added to the bottom of a page. And unfortunately, that happens quite often. Okay, so what kind of forms? Like, I know we have a standard lease we're supposed to be using. So is there a part in the standard lease or do we get a, an, uh, um, uh, an addendum added to it? So what is the steps that we should be taking? Yeah, it can be done with a uh, with an addendum to the standard lease. Um, it could also be done in a separate guarantee agreement. That sort of thing um, really needs to be visited uh, with the landlord and their lawyer, whoever's drafting up the actual documents that they want to use on a regular basis with their uh, uh, with their ten- uh, tenants as their formal agreement going forward. And uh, certainly the uh, the form itself. Um, and it doesn't really matter. It's the content within the form when they're entering into that relationship with the guarantor or co-signer. Mm-hmm. Okay, then. So what will the form ask for? Like, can you get, take us a little bit through the steps of what the guarantor should? So if we have some people, like we have some members listening, and these are tenants, and they may want to know how to get the guarantor ready or, or even to find out if the guarantor would even pass, what, what are the questions that they should be asking their guarantor? Well, the, the the tenant should have an appreciation that their guarantor, the person that they're going to put forward on their behalf, does have a good credit history, as you were asking a moment ago, has secure employment uh, and so forth. All the things that are going to provide some sort of financial uh, assurance um, to a, a landlord. Of course, the tenant doesn't want to put forward a co-signer or a guarantor to find out that that person has poor credit and the landlord's going to turn that person down in addition to have already turned down the uh, the tenant. Um, the, the landlord's patience is going to wear out quick or maybe there's a lineup of two or three other people that the landlord doesn't need to go through that sort of a hassle with. Um, so the, from the tenant perspective, just vetting who their co-signer or their guarantor is going to be would be smart for the uh, the tenant to do in advance. 
for the for the landlord when the landlord's working with a a lawyer to prepare that addendum or separate agreement as a co-signer or a guarantor agreement um, as mentioned they need to be very uh, careful and diligent to ensure that the conditions and the terms within the agreement uh, include some sort of uh, assurance that uh, matches the commitments of the uh, of the tenant um, if the tenant agreement, of course, says that the tenant is going to pay X number of dollars in rent, the tenant's going to provide X number of dollars as a key deposit, the tenant is going to provide um, uh, the uh, um, payment for any damage caused within the unit. Maybe there's some additional services that the landlord is providing that are going to be optional that the uh, uh, tenant can uh, opt into as well. Um, if the tenant is going to be committing to all those things and the guarantee or the uh, co-signer agreement doesn't match those things, there are things that could fall between the cracks. There's no sense the guarantor just guaranteeing that they're going to pay the rent, but not guaranteeing that they're going to uh, pay for the damage that the tenant causes. A mm-hmm. landlord could find themselves out a significant amount of rent, but certainly a much uh, a larger amount if severe damage was uh, caused to the unit by the tenant or or even the tenant's guests. So that's another aspect of it too as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Now, I have a question for you now. Um, Because a lot of people are coming through ODSP, Ontario Works, etc., right? Can we get these organizations to be the guarantor of these people? Because what's happening here is people come into the unit, Scott, and then they stop paying. They decide not to pay anymore. And, and of course, you go back to these um, organizations and say, well, we can't do anything. We decide to do this, right, which is unfair to the landlord. So can we not uh, legally get uh, these, these um, organizations to be guarantors of these people for any damages or rent not paid? Can we do that? Well, and uh, the, the likelihood that these organizations would step up and make that sort of a commitment for uh, for somebody is very unlikely. I can't imagine it uh, uh, it actually happening. Um, human rights concerns start to come into uh, play too as well. So asking somebody that's on ODSP for some form of disability uh, may be at issue too as well. If uh, um, a landlord starts asking only disabled people to uh, um, provide a co-signer or a guarantor, but the landlord is not doing that for full-bodied people. Um, again, the human rights issues start to rear their ugly head at, uh, at that point. But to answer your question directly, no, I, I don't see um, an organization such as that committing to that sort of a, uh, an obligation, even if they were allowed to do so. Yeah, but we as landlords have to have an obligation to provide housing for these people, right? Where are where are our, our rights? If people stop paying the rent and we have no recourse because the Landtrain Board is closed right now, and they had they do multiple thousands of dollars of damage. What about our human rights? No one is even paying attention to the landlord anymore, Scott. It's like we're a non-entity. It's like we're an extension of the government. We're not. We're all little small business people, you know. I mean, we have to have some rights. We have to do something illegally that these people will be bound. I mean, if you're going to send us people that you want us to house, then you have to step up and take responsibility for these people because they're not our responsibility. We're just providing housing. We're not giving them the money. We're not doing any of that. So I know I know this is not what you would 
want to hear, but this is the reality of what's going on right now. I mean, like this is June the 25th, 2020, and there's tenants still not paying, and they may be 12 months in arrears. And I'm not talking about the ones that have regular jobs and decide not to pay. I'm talking about people that may be on the, you know, on these um, uh, social assistance programs that are getting the money, no matter what happens, but they choose not to pay. So where are our human rights? Well, and that uh, you won't want to hear the answer, but that's not actually in, in accordance with the human rights code. That's not a human rights problem. Um, it's certainly going to be something that landlords feel is unfair, and I certainly won't disagree with that. It is highly unfair, um, but it is not something that's embodied in the uh, human rights code that a landlord has some sort of a right um, and protection to um, uh, against discrimination. The Human Rights Code is going to deal with some sort of a discriminatory concern where the suppliers of things like accommodation or services and goods uh, cannot discriminate on certain grounds such as ethnicity, cultural background, race, age, gender, uh, sexuality. And none of those things would uh, relate here where, uh, first of all, a, a tenant doesn't owe uh, a human rights obligation to a landlord because they're not the service provider. The landlord's the service provider to the uh, uh, to the tenant. Um, and uh, so that would be, well, that would take the human rights code um, completely out of play anyway. But hypothetically, even if the human rights code was still in play, if the tenant wasn't paying the landlord because the, of the landlord's race or the landlord's uh, background, then that might create uh, uh, an issue. But uh, again, there's uh, sort of those two strikes that don't even come into uh, uh, to apply to the situation. So it's not really a human rights issue for landlords. It's a frustration issue for yeah. landlords. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> mm -hmm. well, we, we get the short end of the stick all the time. And well, I kind of... Yeah, that certainly wasn't the answer that uh, that you want to hear. But I think uh, there are landlords out there that do need to recognize that throwing around that human rights term um, isn't really, from a legal point of view, the right term to throw around. Uh, they can certainly, you know, throw the term around that it's unfair, it's unjust, um, that it's prejudicial to to landlords, that they're being mis, uh, mistreated, and those issues certainly need to be addressed and brought to the attention of MPPs and the, and the government with the abuse that uh, landlords are uh, are suffering at the hands of uh, uh, of tenants that are acting unjustly. Yeah, well, I can see a lot of changes happening when we come out of this, that I can see a lot of landlords, and I hope they'll have learned, because certainly you've given a lot of fodder for, uh, you know, paralegals and lawyers to hear, but also ourselves to be educated as consumers. So we, but we should know our rights before we even go and see a paralegal. And, and where are we going to learn this, right? We're learning today what we're going to hear from a paralegal. So, you know, we can cut down on their on their time spent with us and we understand the basics of what our rights are and what our rights aren't. But certainly I can see a big change happening um, in the field of accommodations where when we come out of all of this, which we will, who's going to be ready to people who haven't paid and have paid and not have paid purposely? 
not because they're in dire needs, but because they, they don't think they have to and have destroyed property. I mean, this is where you do credit checks on people. And this is where you come down on people that people can understand. This is not a joke anymore, you know? Who can afford thousands of dollars? Who have to pay their mortgage? If it wasn't for the goodness of the banks and the goodness of a number of businesses that are deferring our payment, we'd all be broke. And this is, you know, this highlights the issue and the concern of having guarantors and co-signers. The landlords that are out there that have secured uh, co-signers and guarantors on tenancy agreements that were entered into before any of this uh, happened and, and came to light, they're in a much more secure situation than the landlords are that uh, don't have guarantors and co-signers and are having to look solely to the tenants uh, and the legal obligations of the uh, of the tenant. But if the tenant is uh, between a rock and a hard place, and you know those that. Uh, uh, have lost their jobs or do have some reasonable excuse. And then, as you say, there's also those tenants that are just using this as an excuse uh, to, to not make their payments. But where there is a, a guarantor or co-signer in, uh, in place, the landlord has that extra sense of security and uh, ability to, uh, to leverage that. As you might imagine, if uh, a parent or an aunt or uncle or somebody who is uh, close to the tenant has uh, signed on to that agreement, not only is the uh, tenant going to be doing what they can to make sure that they're not uh, stiffing the landlord um, and that because of course they want to protect their uh, their family member or their uh, close friends uh, uh, credit and they'll be taking the heat from that person too as well if that person starts to find out that the tenant isn't paying their their rent on time um, so yeah there's that uh, uh, well, the completely the whole purpose of it is that added element of uh, of security. And there's not only the uh, the landlord pressuring the person to pay their rent on time, but there's going to be the guarantor making sure that it's uh, being taken care of because the guarantor doesn't want that responsibility. And they would have a they would go against their credit, wouldn't it? Well, absolutely, and that. Um, um, the, the the credit concern of that person that's what enabled them to be a guarantor in the first place the last thing that they want to do is have some sort of uh, um i guess black marks against their uh, their credit record um as well as the expenditure so not only would they uh, uh, take the hit if it wasn't taken uh, taken care of on behalf of the tenant but they're going to be having to front whatever it is that the tenant uh, has left unpaid. And as you're quite aware, there's landlords that uh, are out thousands of, of dollars in unpaid rent and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars in damage to units. I know. I mean, this is my concern. Uh, we've got to find a way legally to stop this nonsense, really, because it is nonsense. It's gotten worse. Like when I first started in 2000, because that's when I started doing rentals, uh, I, never, I never heard about all the damage that's happening right now. People are doing it on purpose. And they're not only doing it with, with long-term rentals, Scott, they're doing it with short-term rentals. Mm -hmm. you know, someone who's on Airbnb and people are coming and damaging their properties for thousands of dollars. Like, what kind of guests would do that? They stay there for two months, uh, two days, two days, and they destroy the property, kick in doors. Like it's, it's, it's like they're they're. What's happening is people are are not behaving themselves. They're allowed to get away with destruction, and they say, well, you know, I can get away with it. No one can do anything about it. 
So when did this start happening with the law that we can't go after these people? And even if we do, it means nothing. Nothing means nothing anymore. You kind of look at the law and say, okay, so uh, really, what's going to happen here? Am I going to waste my time? Yeah, I, there's two parts of, uh, I'm going to say it bluntly, pessimism in your last statement. Oh, no, <laughs> Probably. No, Probably. So much, so much, so much, Scott. I go on these Facebook groups that landlords are on, and I just read one. I have to get off. It's so depressing. Mm -hmm. So, so depressing. Now, I have to say I'm very pessimistic about it because I, I read about it constantly. It's swapped. But the other side is I'm hoping that the, that people who are going to be going into real estate will become educated business people. And the education of the business of becoming a real estate investor is learning to decipher who is a good tenant and who's not. If you take your time and not take money that somebody has, that the person, they're going to flash money in your face, you're going to take it. Those are all red signs for me, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm I mean, if they, if they, after all of this, will learn or will they continue making the same mistakes, right? Well, and that's, uh, you know, that, that's the concern, but also the wonderful thing that you're doing with this, uh, uh, with this show and sharing information and the guests that you have on the show so that uh, others can learn and from uh, your wisdom and the wisdom of those that, uh, that you bring onto the show. Um, with, if I may, just getting back to the, uh, the guarantor issue here. Um, I have a couple added uh, thoughts um, that uh, people will likely want to review with their lawyer um, when they're drafting and preparing uh, guarantor agreements. And one of the uh, um, additional key concerns that often comes up is the security of tenancy provisions within the Residential Tenancies Act and the fact that once the lease is done and it converts automatically to a month-to-month -month basis, the tenancy is converted automatically, but is the guarantee converted automatically or does that guarantee co-signer relationship, does that terminate at the end of the, uh, the let's call it a one-year uh, one lease agreement? Good point. Good point. So um, the way that that needs to be addressed is actually within the uh, co-signer guarantee agreement. If a tenant is signing a, a lease that says for one year, blah, 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 and then there's a um, guarantee agreement that says that the guarantor slash co-signer will pay on behalf of the tenant, blah, 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 the same sort of conditions, um, it does need to be recognized that that tenant's lease is going to expire in a year but the Residential Tenancies Act automatically can convert that to a month to month. If the addendum or the separate uh, guarantee agreement doesn't address that possibility, then the guarantee will come to an end at the end of the, uh, the one year. Um, and then the tenant is then left on their own uh, with no guarantor. And the landlord is now stuck with only uh, access to the financial resources of the uh, tenant without anybody else to uh, uh, to pursue if it becomes a problem. Now that's a really good point. So how do we protect ourselves then, Scott? Well, again, the uh, the lawyer that drafts the uh, the lease and the addendum or the separate uh, uh, co-signer uh, agreement is going to need to have the foresight to recognize that that's going to likely happen in most situations where the tenant. Um, decides to stay on after the uh, the one year and continue the tenancy um, past the lease into the month-to-month -month term. 
that can be worded um, by uh, somebody that's acting with diligence to recognize that potential problem. There's uh, an additional significant caveat, if I could uh, add that as well. And that's where we sometimes see um, the addendum or the separate uh, guarantee agreement, where it states that their guarantor will pay on behalf of the tenant for all debts and liabilities um, of the tenant, but doesn't qualify whether those debts and liabilities are accruing um, uh, outside of a uh, out of a court order or a landlord tenant board order. So it raises the issue of when can the landlord go after the guarantor or the co-signer? Uh, depending on the way that it's worded, the guarantor may only be responsible once the land, uh, sorry, once the tenant is actually found by a judicial body to be um, uh, to be liable. So a, a, a landlord's going to want to work with their lawyer to make sure that something is drafted up in a way that they can immediately, if possible, some circumstances they might not be able to, but as quickly as possible, go directly after the guarantor in the case of a breach by the, uh, the tenant. Otherwise, the landlord's going to have two processes one where they have to go to the landlord tenant board to get an order against the tenant. And then they have to start everything all over from scratch to pursue the guarantor in the small claims court to say, this is the order that I got against the tenant who hasn't paid. So now I need an order against the guarantor from the small claims court. So something that allows the, uh, um, the landlord to bypass if possible, and it won't be possible in all circumstances, it depends on the, the nature of the situation, um, but can uh, bypass that one uh, step of having to chase the uh, tenant first at the landlord tenant board. Sure. Anything to make the process short? Because it's too long, all oh, this is too long. When I had cases go before uh, the law tenant board and I had a paralegal, never did any of this, my paralegal did everything and we won every case too. Um, she, like, we didn't have to wait months like now. I'm very, very lucky that when I had the bad tenants, I was able to get, do everything I needed to at that time because heaven forbid if I had bad ones now, God, I don't know what I would do, right? So it's just, it's just, I'm glad I went through that and learned years ago. I don't have to go through it now because now it's just a nightmare. It's just a nightmare now, you know? It's too long. People are there 12 months not paying and they're sitting there, well, you can't do anything. No. And that's that's a significant problem. I'm in many of the same Facebook groups that you're in, and we see so many landlords that are having that problem. They're not getting paid. They're struggling. Um, and, and what are they going to do? We still don't have a date for the landlord-tenant board to reopen uh, on the horizon. It's still all up in the air. And uh, there's people who, who their patience is exhausted, their financial reserves are exhausted, and it's going to become prob you know very problematic. Mm -hmm. Ironically, it's going to become problematic as well for some of the tenants. In in, in my mind, those that are um, playing this uh, this game that have the ability to pay their rent, but they're not either they're part of the keep their rent movement. Um, all they're going to do is make some landlords run for the hills and either uh, take their properties off the market or be extremely tough in the uh, vetting process. And it's going to create less availability of housing. And that's going to drive further up the, uh, the rent rates. Um, it's a uh, supply and demand uh, 
uh, market out there. And if uh, you uh, deplete the supply, and that while the demand is still there, well, the only thing that is going to happen is the obvious price is going to up. So they're they're not helping their own cause. No, that's what I see happening, actually, is there's going to be less landlords going to be even wanting to be in the business, either because they lose their properties for foreclosures, or if they were smart, they would have refinanced, like not refinanced, but like I refinanced, but I also deferred my mortgage, right? Um, if you're smart enough to do that, and many some people don't even know what that means, but hey, that's part of the education. And then the other thing, too, is if somebody comes to me and says they want to move into my property, I say, okay. So give me the name of your last two landlords. And then I'll ask them, did you pay your rent? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. you know, I have all the right to ask them because I'm not going to take you on. So I can see more homelessness happening because of this. It's going to, like, there's no place for these people to go. Once we shut our doors, then they have to go to the government to subsidize housing. And there's not enough of them. Mm -hmm. That's why the government has to shake hands with us and work with us because we're providing for people that they can't provide for. And and the, the, the tenants themselves are screwing themselves out of getting a good place in the future. First of all, the rates will go up. That's that's a certain thing that's going to happen. And next of all, supply and demand. I mean, if you why would I take somebody who's not paid another landlord to have him or her come into my property do the same thing? No way. So that's when that's like I'm saying is why I like to have programs with you too, right? Is and all the other people I have, even Howard Travages, um, who is, you know comes on as a paralegal, is that this is what as landlords, this is what the questions we should be asking. These are the things we should be looking out for, so we won't. We can stop this this craziness that's going on with people not paying and destroying our properties. That's what they have to do. The landlord has that power with the private property. They can ask those questions and if they don't like the answer. And before you take on myself, before I take anyone on, boy, oh boy, do I put them right through the washer, right through the washer. So yes, I, you know, I don't have as many people coming and renting, but quite frankly, I don't care. These are dangerous times for the landlord. I prefer to be empty and have some, a bad person come into my properties because all I'm hearing are, you know, one bad thing after another, Scott, it scares me. It scares me. And you, uh, uh, you mentioned or hinted towards a uh, question that uh, landlords will likely be asking as we come out the other side of this, and that will be for um, reference to the previous landlord or some sort of proof of payment that the yes. tenant um, mm -hmm. made their rent payments during the COVID uh, period, or at least worked out some sort of arrangement with the. Uh, uh, with the landlord and made good on that uh, arrangement. Um, yeah. Those tenants who are going to be unable to provide uh, proof or assurance that uh, they made their rent payments during the COVID months are going to find themselves having great difficulty um, finding a landlord willing to take them in. Yeah, and I know some, some tenants are going to pretend that their friend is a landlord. We can see through all of that. We can see through all of that. Come on. Mm -hmm. Somebody, people try that with me too. And people say, well, I'd like to, I'd like to move in. I said, great. Uh, uh, do you require first and last? I said, yeah. So, <laughs> we're going to let you in without that. And if I let you in without that, then you sign paperwork. You sign paperwork that states what you're going to, and when you're going to pay it, right? And this is not a right. joke. So, I mean, if, if a, a landlord isn't smart enough or doesn't, doesn't want to be educated or, just, or thinks they still know what everything, what's going on, well, that's the problem. You've got to learn from what's going on. Read the newspaper. Don't keep your head in the sand. Look at what's going on and learn. Learn, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Well, something uh, on that, and you, you mentioned this in a show that we did three or four weeks uh, weeks back, and maybe I'll just finish up on this uh, uh, this point, is the importance of establishing a relationship with a, uh, a paralegal, a lawyer as well. The lawyer needs to uh, help draft the, uh, uh, the lease agreement and guarantee agreements as we've been discussing today. But a, a paralegal that's going to help them um, if and when uh, an unfortunate situation arises. Waiting until uh, that situation does occur to then grab the, uh, um, the yellow pages or in this day and age, grab Google and try to find somebody that uh, you can strike up a relationship with is, uh, is too late. Get to know somebody, uh, take them out to lunch every once in a while if you need to, pick their brains, you know, what sort of uh, uh, issues have they been dealing with that other landlords have had and uh, you know, le learning from those that are in the trenches, learning from somebody such as yourself that's been there, done that before. Um, these uh, these newer landlords, that's the best advice that uh, uh, they should be taking from you is to uh, inform themselves ahead of time before they need to know it. Yes, and that's what I used to do when I was starting out 20 years ago. I always found a coach and mentors. I mean, that's the thing that everyone should have. Every landlord should have, or real estate investor should have a coach or a mentor who's already gone ahead of them, that have gone through, walk through the fire, it's called, right? Walk through the fire and ask them those, those hard questions. Because when I started, I sat down and like you had lunch and, and I would ask them the question, how do you find the right kind of home? Because I didn't know how to do it. Um, also, what kind of paperwork are you using? And they used to send me the paperwork so I could use it because then they didn't have the standard lease at that time, Scott, okay? Right. Which they have now. And so I, so I developed all those programs. I even had a paperwork for the guarantor to sign that said, guarantor, you know, the guarantor and the guarantor, all of that. So I was learning as I was going. So I didn't step into this thinking I knew everything. If I knew nothing, I knew nothing. And I started from scratch. All of us starting that there from nothing, Scott. Well, you knew the uh, the successful formula, though, which is quite simply, if you want to be successful, just do what other successful people are doing. Exactly. Very good. Very good. So uh, did you want to uh, let people know, um, you know, any lawyers or paralegals, how they can get in touch with you then, Scott? Sure. So lawyers and paralegals, because I don't uh, um, provide public services, but lawyers and paralegals can uh, get in touch with me by uh, sending me an email to cpd4u at outlook.com. That CPD is in continuing professional development. The number four, the letter U at outlook.com. Fantastic. today, And I want to thank Scott McKechnie who's been here. He's a legal coach and currently provides training and consulting services for lawyers and paralegals. And today we're talking about guarantors as co-signers and ourselves as landlords, what we should be looking at. And uh, by by all means, you can get in touch with me at any time on uh, Facebook. I don't charge. <laughs> I'm more than happy to answer questions. And please go on my YouTube channel, Real Estate Media News Network, sign up uh, and comment and like and share because have a wealth of information there from all the specialists in the field. It's not about me. It's about you and you to become a better real estate investor and a better landlord and not have the problems that are that, that can become quite over you know overbearing when I see what's going on. So thank you again, Scott. 
uh, for another great uh, session with you and everyone here. It's Maria Recruit, All Things Real Estate. Goodbye for now. Ciao. Keep safe and uh, just work on becoming better landlords. Ciao for now. Bye.